This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. There's a saying we use in some some of these teachings. It's called suddenly free from fixed mind, which is one of my favorites. Suddenly free from fixed mind. And this is a momentary experience that's very much related to the notion of um, body mind, wakeful mind. There's nothing in body mind that is built to be sustained or institutionalized or framed or preserved. That's... That is the twist of this whole thing that we're doing. Nothing in it gives you any kind of stable platform in the sense of something being glued into place in a secure way. It's the exact opposite. We become stable or balanced because we're able to flow with it, move with it, and not get caught up in the need to stabilize it. It's funny. Stability. We'll do this next week, but stability comes with letting go of the need for stability. That's literally the case. Stability comes with letting go of the need for stability. That's literally the case. Ah, the paradox of the spiritual path. (laughs) Hello, friends, and welcome to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn on the Be Here Now Network. My name is Michael Kammers, your host and monologist. All of us here at Be Here Now Network and Dharma Moon sincerely hope this podcast finds you as well as can be, and we are happy that you are joining us. Here at CSM, our guide, senior Buddhist teacher, musician, and entrepreneur David Nickturn discusses how to lead an integrated life involving spiritual practice, creative expression, and right livelihood with our guests who embody and manifest these principles in their own life. We also have many episodes with either David and I discussing mindfulness and Buddha Dharma or, as in the case of today's episode, an excerpt of a Dharma talk given by David. Formerly, these episodes were entitled David's View. However, given the nature of impermanence and egolessness, we are now shifting these episodes to be called A Buddhist View. In this talk from one of our Foundations of Mindfulness programs in June, David gives a talk on the principle of precision, deepening our understanding of how we view and apply it on and off the cushion in our mindfulness practice. In our foundations programming, as well as in our teacher training programs, once basic instruction is transmitted, gentleness, precision, and letting go are the first three principles we delve into applying in practice. In my personal experience, finding the balance between these qualities has had a transformative effect on my life and how I relate to myself, my community, and the world. Our Rosetta Stone, if you will, when it comes to these principles, is the chapter of the same name in Pema Chodron's book, The Wisdom of No Escape, which is part of the required reading for our mindfulness program. 
And speaking of our mindfulness programming, Dharma Moon has the next round of our world-class 100-hour mindfulness meditation teacher training coming up. It's a great way to deepen your practice and community with a senior teacher, one-to-one mentorship, and in a safe, brave space of community with like-minded practitioners. We have two info sessions coming up with special guests whom attendees on Zoom will have the opportunity to have a Q&A with. On Wednesday, August 31st, 2022, we have an info session with Duncan Trussell, comedian, podcast host, and creator of the acclaimed Netflix animated show, The Midnight Gospel. On Wednesday, September 14th, our special guest is Professor Robert Thurman, Buddhist scholar, author, and co-founder of Tibet House U.S., the cultural center of His Holiness the Dalai Lama in the United States. So, if you are like my former self and enjoy listening to spiritual podcasts where people discuss meditation and dharma, but you don't have a practice yet, join us at Dharma Moon and let's all learn how to practice together for the benefit of all sentient beings. So please head over to dharmamoon.com and join us at a program soon. And speaking of listening to spiritual podcasts, we'd like to thank the Be Here Now Network for having us on their podcast network and for continuing Ram Dass's legacy of compassionate engagement with the world via loving awareness and skillful means. Please check out all the amazing programming at BeHereNowNetwork.com. So, thank you for listening to the opening monologue, everyone. And now, we present to you Precision, a Buddhist view with David Nickturn. Actually, since we're talking about precision, this will be with further ado, we're going to further ado and talk, progress our conversation from the last two weeks. So we're really hitting the halfway mark in this course. I hope that you are all able to practice and to begin to integrate some of the content of what we're talking about into the post-meditation experience. So when you're a meditator, you have two kinds of practice, meditation and post-meditation. That would be 24 hours a day, basically. So that covers the the whole concept of being alive um so we could look at meditation as a sort of artificially induced framework for working with our activity of our mind we could look at it as a kind of natural aspect of having a mind so going back to the original um introduction to mindfulness and talking about the notion of gom, G-O-M, which is the Tibetan word for becoming familiar with something as the sort of wraparound word for meditation, to become familiar with. And um, what we're becoming familiar with is everything uh, in the realm of our experience. And then we're very precisely cultivating one aspect of being conscious which is the ability to pay attention to that which is unfolding in the in the very moment of time which we're traveling through, occupying. That's what's called mindfulness, is bringing 
the power of the mind, the scope of the mind in alignment with the moment of experience. And of course, you could say we have the natural capacity to do that when you're in third grade and your teachers that pay attention, standing at the blackboard, writing instructions, and <laughs> they still do this chalk on the blackboard. Pay attention. Um, so nobody has to teach you how to pay attention, essentially. The teacher in third grade doesn't go into a lengthy explanation of the different stages of consciousness and uh, which one's being referred to about how to sort of orchestrate your attention. But you're bringing your attention together with the present field of experience. So what is happening in the present field of experience is what we're becoming familiar with. And in general, you could say it has two domains. One is the quality of the mind that um, is internal in terms of creating a, um, a narrative flow, a story. You could say, you know, autobiographical in some sense. Um, and that that is not really, even though clearly that is happening right now, it doesn't feel like it is because the content of it is, is usually mostly connected with experiences that we've had before or we think we might have in the future. So I think if you, from a precise point of view, if you analyzed your, um, your discursive mind, you would probably find that 96, 98%, who knows, is occupied with memories um, and anticipations of experiences that you know we've had or that we think we might have. But the startling fact of that is all of that activity is actually happening in the present moment. So the most vivid memory we could have, right, even of some kind of challenging experience that we have, is happening in this present moment, which is um, obvious from one perspective, but we don't act as if that's the case because we get pulled into the energy of the memory or the energy of the uh, anticipation. And we actually can activate, this is an interesting part of our psychophysical setup, we can activate our current psychophysical system as if those experiences were happening in the present. And that's, uh, you know, that is one definition of trauma, actually. Um, that we're reacting in the present as if the a previous uh, experience was being uh, relived. And the body can't separate, body can't distinguish between it. So this is, of course, completely heightened in dreams where, you know, you could wake somebody up and say, by the way, you're just lying in your bed. Nothing's happening. You're breathing. But in our mind, we have a tremendous sense of uh, a, an unfolding of experience that is actually not real. It's a, it's a complete um, uh, dreamlike experience. And similarly, in the waking experience, it's very similar that we're sitting at a table with uh, our family, for example, reliving an experience at Thanksgiving that, you know, we were eight and nobody would pass us the mashed potatoes and we felt left out. And all of that is being, you know, re-experienced re in the form of memory. So the reason to develop precision is really related to the notion of clarity, developing clarity about what is actually happening. 
And beyond that clarity, um, which is related to the idea of prajna or discernment to, to see what is actually happening, and the idea of vipassana or clear seeing, uh, that clarity is uh, related to <clears throat> that that kind of precision is related to developing a clear mind. And the clarity doesn't necessarily mean that there are no thoughts in it, by the way. That's what I think that's a mistake we can make is thinking a clear mind means that you have no thoughts. A clear mind is one in which thoughts are arising, but you're aware of the fact that there are thoughts. So this is a key moment where you notice, honestly, it's sort of still should be a little bit startling, even if you've been doing this for 40 years. You know, thinking, when you say the word thinking, there's a little bit of a um, shock. Kind of uh, like a, 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 sometimes we call it a jerk of awareness, not meaning that it's, you know, not smart, but like a little snap in which you become suddenly present and aware of being present. So we are cultivating that um, as well as the familiarity with everything around it. Um, so we're not trying to repress our thoughts and go, well, if only we could just uh, eliminate these. That's, that is sometimes um, a popular misconception about this kind of practice is that if we could achieve that, we would have peace. But it's really, um, you know, uh, it's, it's really tranquilizing in a superficial sense because there's no reason to, to, to believe that those thoughts or versions of them won't return in a moment where you're less able to see the clarity of it. So we're not trying to extinguish our mind. That's a really important element. Um, but we're trying to see clearly, precisely what the nature of the current situation is. And in doing that, we're freed from certain bondages that we've experienced. One is believing uh, or, or acting as if our, well, take it to its extreme, our paranoid delusions are real. We think there's somebody in our house, right, in the middle of the night. Uh, we um, see our bathrobe um, sash on the floor, and for a moment we think it's a snake. So this is the nature of confusion is we don't see clearly what's right in front of us in the outside world, the world of the senses, and we don't recognize our own thoughts as having um, a kind of ephemeral quality. And we get caught up in the, we get tangled up in, in, in them. Now, when you, I think it's fair to like look at the contemporary way of thinking about this. When you're caught up in your thoughts, the jumble of thoughts, I think it's fair to call that one definition of stress or anxiety. If you, when somebody says I'm stressed out, uh, usually what they really mean is I'm caught up in the jumble of my own mind and thoughts. Uh, they might assume that, oh, it's because I'm late for work or uh, because I have more things to do than I can possibly take care of in this time. But really there's an energy and a momentum where we're caught up in thoughts. So this kind of, um, you know, uh, there, there's a saying we use in some, some of these teachings that's called suddenly free from fixed mind, which is one of my favorites, suddenly free from fixed mind. 
And this is a momentary experience that's very much related to the notion of um, Bodhi mind, wakeful mind. There's nothing in Bodhi mind that is built to be sustained or, um, you know, institutionalized or framed or or, or uh, preserved. That's that is the twist of this whole thing that we're doing. Nothing in it uh, gives you any kind of stable uh, platform in the sense of something being glued into place in a secure way. It's the exact opposite. We become stable or balanced because we're able to flow with it, move with it, and not get caught up in the need to stabilize it. It's funny. Stability. We'll do this next week, but stability comes with letting go of the need for stability. That's literally the case. So when we talk about the precision element, we talked last week about gentleness and uh, <laughs> the caterpillar, the famous caterpillar incident, if you remember it, um, which means accommodating life as it unfolds for us has a certain kind of elegance to it and a gentle, tender approach. We don't fight with our world. We don't fight with our mind. But that doesn't mean just being sloppy about it, you know, just kind of, um, oh, yeah, I sat for 20 minutes. I have no idea what happened, you know, but I, I wasn't hard on myself. Well, that's a good start. But now we're beginning to articulate um, a sequence of intentional actions, <clears throat> which are, first of all, placement of attention in the first place is a very precise thing. Where do you put your attention? On the feeling of the breath going in and out. Very profound. Do it right now. You feel, I'm breathing. Just feel it. There's nothing to be analyzed. There's no suggestion of tracing it to its source. There's no suggestion of manipulating prana uh, through this. Just feel the breath. And it's funny, you know, it's just this very gentle flow of air. And if you like, you can feel it just at the tip of your nose. That's very classical. Just you, And because there's those little hairs on the tip of your nose and you feel them. And you feel the cooling effect of the breath going in and out. And you don't have to, you know, make a big deal about it, but place your attention on that experience. So one thing about that experience is it is happening right now. There is no um, imagination required. So if the first thing we do in the precision element is take a good seat, which we spent some time on in the first class, and um, I'll reiterate, um, maybe Michael, when you do, do lead the meditation, could you reiterate the posture at the beginning of that? Absolutely. Yeah, so we'll cover that when we actually sit down to practice. And in the view section here, the idea is that we're feeling the, placing the attention on the feeling of the breath. And we're really dramatically simplifying. It's uh, hard to let it be this simple. So already there's a lot of letting go in there, sneak peek.
if you prefer to feel the flow of breath throughout the body, that's another alternative they can use. I suggest picking one of those and letting that be how you do it. So one is where you just feel the flow of breath as you find it. You might feel your lungs expanding and then the contracting and the breath coming back out through the nose and the mouth, if you like. Or you can just stay somewhat in this area here and feel what's going on there. And technically, at that point, at that very point, you're not worried about anything. There's no, you are totally unemployed. Uh, you're not making plans. You're not um, reviewing, you know, how you did or didn't do in, in a particular situation. You have achieved utter yogic simplicity for maybe a breath or two. Yeah. And if you want to, like, you know, for the first couple, say, oh, this is delicious. You know, take a deep breath. That's okay. I mean, obviously, we're saying don't try to make this into a breathing exercise. The breath is simply the object of awareness. But if you want to set yourself up, whew, you know, even a little, like, releasing of the sort of multi-tiered drama that we've been living till we sat down and Sometimes on the out-breath, you could do it as if you're saying the word ah. And just there with the breath like that. So that's the primary instruction. Having established the seat, having sort of set the tone with the gentleness, the primary instruction is feel your breath. <clears throat> That's it. And in a way, when we talk about nirvana or peace, that's it. Right then, you're tasting the spaciousness that is sort of the ground of everything that arises from it. And, you you know, the instructions, you can rest or abide there. That is, abide there. That's why the shamatha element of the practice is called calm abiding. Just abide with the breath. Then, da -da 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 you notice about six minutes later, oh my goodness. For the last six minutes, I've been reviewing the last five episodes of Breaking Bad. And then when I got bored with that, I started thinking, what am I going to have for dinner after this? And why do I have to eat dinner at 7.30 on Thursdays now? That's too late. It's not good for your digestive system to eat that late. And, uh, you know. Not only that, but my stomach's been kind of bothering me lately, and and um, I wonder if I should eat earlier. And uh, um, and you know, maybe because of my intimate relationship with my partner, my, that maybe that's why my stomach is not so great lately. And maybe instead of meditating, it might be good to go to marriage counseling or uh, take a walk on the beach. 
And, uh, you know, your mind just drifts and rambles, right? It's like, um, it's funny, it's not on a leash. It doesn't really have an owner, per se. You can just whip it into shape. But you notice this rambling quality that you have set out to place your attention with the breath, the feeling of the breath, and your mind is just um, elsewhere. And it happens all the time, and it happens really quickly. It's happening now. That's the funny thing about it. It's happening as I'm speaking. All of us are drifting in and out of this conversation. Is that not so? Yeah. Well, if you've only been thinking about what I'm saying and you haven't had other thoughts, could you could you raise your hand? Okay. Michael has a good you have good focus, right? Yeah. <laughs> but in the meditation, without even the fantastic entertaining presentation by us. You're sitting there going, I don't know, you know. <laughs> and you do start to chatter. Mind starts to chatter. The content from the precision element is it's good to notice the quality, content, and texture of the chatter without dwelling on it. So that's an interesting thing. It's okay to notice, oh, you know, I'm thinking about um I miss my uncle Irv. You know, and it's a little poignancy there. That's okay. We're not trying to execute the thoughts or demolish them. But you, you, in noticing them, you're moving to what we call a position of the abstract watcher, the witness, sometimes call that. And the difference, this is the second tier of the practice, the difference between the abstract watcher and our usual kind of self-consciousness is the abstract watcher is not hired to have an opinion. It's not one of the producers of the show. So you, you do boycott the opinion, the second tier of critique about, you know, I'm not really doing this practice very well, and I don't really like it anyhow. And you just let that one go. So we'll get to that next week, how beautiful that is, is to dismiss the self-conscious watcher. But the abstract watcher is becoming empowered at this stage of our practice to simply notice. And I was, I think I might have said this before, but you know, teaching in Japan as frequently as I do, I was just looking for a simple thing to say about what this practice is about. And we came up with simply notice. Simply notice. And when you do simply notice that your mind has wandered, you add a little bit of technique here, which is labeled that thinking. This is not all meditation schools do this. Uh, it's part of a classical tradition, but other people would say just focus on the breath. They don't actually say you may lose focus on the breath. Or if they do, they might say just bring your attention back to the breath when you notice that you wander. In this case, we add a little bit of a, a precise instruction. And for those of you who know about basketball, I call it using the backboard. Instead of just going straight for the net, the backboard is thinking, you label it, and then 
back to the breath. It gives you a little bit of definition to your practice, a little bit of precision quality. So you all know at this point what it looks like. You've taken this, you know, really uplifted posture, which Michael will elaborate on, reiterate. You second step, place your attention on the breath going in and out. Third step is when you notice mind wandering, label thinking, and then place your attention on the breath again. Nowhere in there does it have any description of an outcome. And then when you get to 3rd Avenue and 57th Street, take a left. Nowhere does it say that. Just keep doing that. So it could be like a great and enlightening joke to play on somebody. Now you're going to go into retreat for a week and you're going to do that 10 hours a day for seven days. And on the third day, they go, I don't know about this because your habitual patterns might begin to have a life of their own at that point. But here we're just saying for 20 minutes, can you just do that? So for 20 minutes, I do feel we can afford to be precise about applying the technique. The precision is understanding what the technique is and then applying the technique diligently without uh, a, you know, a too tight a grip on it. And so that's an interesting kind of discipline that I don't know, for me, it's challenging to be disciplined that way. It's either like, let me just chew my way through this thing and get through it uh, or whatever. But this is a very light touch. And it, it could be like, you know, the reins on a horse. If any of you have ridden horses, you have to have a firm but light touch. And um, it's true for any kind of exercise. Or, and we say not too tight and not too loose is the way to gauge it. Upright, but not uptight. <clears throat> so, remembering there's no promise of any particular outcome where you go, ah, now I got my money's worth. But we do say, view, that was the view, you do the practice, the result could easily have some elements of increased clarity, diminished reactivity, equanimity or balance in our state of mind, and a kind of strengthening of our capacity to abide with life, with being in the game, that we can come back to a kind of base that feels more stable and um, not glued in place, but like gyroscopically stable. So we say that that's the fruition of this mindfulness practice, clarity, strength, stability. And you can see this month, if you did the practice, how it might be playing with your sense of those things. If there's any kind of, you could, not get a scorecard out, but you could track your relationship to the practice a little bit to get some kind of gauge of the benefit of it. That's okay. There's no benefit. No, why would anybody do it? 
So even though we say journey without goal, you know, and kind of, you know, the Zen teachers would just say, just sit. They wouldn't talk about any outcome at all. In this case, we have some reasonable sense of the fruition of the practice being the mind uh, being a little bit more settled for beginners for in the, in the first place. Uh, and then here's a great one. Then notice how when you don't practice, the whole thing just starts to slip back down into the thing, the other thing. And without, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to share openly when I don't practice, it starts getting, my mind gets slipperier. You know, like if it's rock climbing, all the holes, they feel like they're slippery and mossy. And when you do practice, it's almost not exactly quid pro quo. There's just a general sense of the mind becoming more workable, uh, uh, ability to, to handle uh, more challenging circumstances. So when I uh, was making a record during this time, and the engineer was saying, David, how are you staying focused in this crazy time? I said, mindfulness meditation. I think at this point, it's almost like a necessary. If you have a toolkit, you'd be really well advised to have this in your toolkit. Whatever else, whatever work you're doing, therapy, you know, physical exercise, I personally would recommend bringing in the mindfulness team for this particular expedition, this expedition we're all on right now, when strange things are happening in subways and people are like freaking out all over the planet. And, you know, you might think, well, I got to do something, I got to do something, but that may not be the right antidote, the ground, the ground might be, I got to not do something for part of the time and gain some clarity. Then when you act, it's much more precise. That's the theory. And what a pleasure it was to have the opportunity and privilege to teach with my teacher. However, in this case, David is not handing it over to me. To further integrate, he is handing it over to the closing monologue, which is basically saying thank you to everyone for listening. Please head over to dharmamoon.com to check out more about our programming with David to learn about mindfulness and community. And also please head over to beherenownetwork.com slash David to hear more of these podcasts and or just head over to BeHereNowNetwork.com and see what's going on over there. So it's our aspiration that these podcasts are a benefit and we sincerely hope that um, listening to them deepens your view of practice and helps you align your conduct with the view. Not that we're trying to dictate your conduct, but uh, we would like to live in a more compassionate world and that starts with ourselves perhaps so i think i've rambled enough may you be safe healthy happy and at ease and thank you all the best this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. time can feel like it's in short supply between work family and friends there's very little time left just for you what would you do with an extra hour in your day What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient 
flexible and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.